My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. One of the things that parents have to do, as most of you know, is help your children to mature and to grow up. And part of that is working with their personalities to help them learn how to make good decisions. And this is not easy because they're kids and they're learning everything that comes with growing up for the first time. Self-control, awareness of others, emotional intelligence, and a whole slew of other things. One thing that's been successful in our family has been making our son Isaac aware of the things that come with growing up. For example, he struggled with staying in bed and falling asleep by himself. And as he's gotten older, though, Chate started telling him, now that you're six, you need to learn to stay in bed like a big boy. And this has helped. The awareness of being able to do new things because his, this helping, him growing up has helped him to want to do new things and to do what he's being asked to do. And it's made him excited about even trying. And I use this example because in the readings from this morning's epistle, we are exhorted by St. Peter to, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. And also in the reading from the book of Acts, we see clearly here a tension between those who long to grow and those who do not by remaining in, as St. Peter also describes as, acts of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. So in the reading from Acts, we see St. Paul in Thessalonica, and he goes to the synagogue, and it says, for three Sabbaths, he teaches them about Jesus. For three Sabbaths. So he's not, he's not doing a one and done. He's there. He's, he's teaching them what he has received from Christ. Specifically, Christ's suffering on the cross and his resurrection, that he is the Christ, right? The long-awaited, long-ago prophesied Messiah. And it says that he reasoned with them in the synagogues from the scriptures. From the scriptures. The content of his doctrine is not a product of his imagination, but it's what the entirety of the Hebrew scriptures witness to. Right? So everything in the Hebrew scriptures testifies to and of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Everything. There's not one part of the Old Testament that does not speak to us of or show us Christ. And there's not just Jews there in the synagogue. There are devout Greeks and leading women of the city. So we have to remember, brothers and sisters, that in the diaspora, when the Jews had been dispersed across the nations, and we even see this in Judea, there were uh, ethnically non-Jews who believed in the God of Israel. But... They did not go all the way, as it were, in converting to the, the faith. And so, there, but there was a reputation among the Greeks and the Romans that the Jews had superior worship. And I think this comes from, and I could be wrong, so feel free to uh, correct me later, is uh, the general uh, Ptolemy, 
when he came into the area, uh, he kind of forced his way into the holy place in the temple, and he saw that there was nothing there. Like the Ark of the Covenant was likely gone, looted a long time ago. And so this, the, the, the Jews had developed this reputation as sort of worshiping a higher sort of God because they didn't need any visual representation of him. But these people who became believers in the God of Israel, these people were called God-fearers. And many of them were usually very wealthy and helped to support the synagogues. And it says that Paul's teaching is accepted by both some of the Jews as well as these God-fearers that we just mentioned. But it does say that many of the Jews did not believe and organized an angry mob. And if there's anything that the Romans were afraid of and anything that they hated more in a city was to see civil unrest. They usually would put that down pretty quickly and pretty brutally if it was not controlled by the local governors. And they attacked the house of a man named Jason, right? So it could be where Paul was staying, or it could be where they're also having Christian worship. And they drag Jason and some of the believers to the authorities, and then they make the claim, right? They're preaching that there is another king, Jesus, and there's a thing that the Romans also hated was also, was also treason. The Romans did not like that. So after uh, Jason paid them off, they released them and they sent Paul and Silas over to a city called Berea. Paul in Thessalonica, now we see Paul in Berea. So after Paul and Silas, they arrive in Berea, what do they do? They do what they did in Thessalonica because this is their mission, this is their task, this is what Christ has tasked them with. Go into the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all the things that I have commanded you. Paul and Silas go to the synagogue and they do the same thing. He gets there and he preaches the same word to them. Jesus is the Christ. He was meant to suffer. He was meant to be resurrected. Here it is throughout our sacred scriptures. The opposite thing happens in Berea than what happened at Thessalonica. Many believe in Berea. And it says also that many Greek men and leading women of the city, they believe as well. But then trouble happens. As some of the unbelieving Jews in Thessalonica hear about the believing Jews in Berea. So they sent people to Berea to agitate the population and to stir up trouble with the authorities. Because the last thing they want is this Jesus message taking root. They want, to see it, they want it to go away. And Paul himself, before he became to believe in Christ, that was his task, that was his role, going from city to city to persecute the burgeoning Jesus movements there. And so they send people to agitate, unbelievers causing agitation. And brothers and sisters, this is something that we are not free of today as Christians. Unbelievers continue to harass and to agitate. We see this on social media all the time. God help us, even in pulpits, where people will say things like, the scriptures are not inspired. Or if the scriptures are inspired, they're inspired in the way that Moby Dick is inspired. Or Sherlock Holmes was inspired. Or take your pick, your favorite work of Shakespeare, like Romeo and Juliet is inspired. The scriptures are inspired in that way. It's not God's word to us. And the Old Testament scriptures don't actually speak of Jesus. This is just something that the Christians read back into the text later on to justify this new theology that they just sort of came up with on their own. Unfortunately, we are not free of such agitation in our own day and in our own time. The difference between 
the believers in Berea and the unbelievers in Thessalonica, that, well, they both heard the same message, right? They both heard the same message. And the agitators respond is that message that has turned the world upside down has come here. This message that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. That he's the anointed one sent to redeem his people. And by the way, he's also God and the ruler of all things. Here's the difference between the two. We see in Acts 17. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So remember, Paul comes to both cities, to both groups of synagogues, and he reasons with them from the scriptures. So we see here the Jews of Berea are longing for the pure spiritual milk, as we heard read from the epistle of 1 Peter earlier, to help them grow up into salvation. And we know this because when they heard the scriptures explained, they themselves then turned to examine the scriptures daily. They didn't just take what Paul said at face value. They dove into the scriptures because they were longing to grow up into salvation. Because that's what the Messiah is bringing. And that's the role and the task of the Messiah is to bring salvation. They heard the message of forgiveness and justification. All the good stuff that comes with being a Christian, right? They heard it and received it and then examined the scriptures to see if these things were so. But the Jews in Thessalonica did the opposite. Even though they heard Jesus taught and explained and shown in their own scriptures, they did not search them themselves. Instead, they agitated and organized a riot to protest. Because they're not interested in, in growing up into salvation. Because they have not put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. All of those on full display, by the way, in what they did to Paul and the other believers there in Thessalonica. Spiritually blinded by their own reticence, by their own belief in their own superiority. They miss the, the gospel message of Jesus Christ that transforms the hearts of those who receive it, but also hardens the hearts of those who resist. And brothers and sisters, this spiritual milk that helps us grow up into salvation is contained in the scriptures and contained in the teaching of the apostles as handed down to the church throughout time. And this spiritual milk, we can go to the scriptures and see and learn and hear them proclaimed to us. That we can learn and grow in Christ. That we can be mature, that we become perfected in Christ so that we may obtain salvation. Because we must never forget that salvation is not just a one and done thing. I had my baptism. Or if you were in a revival meeting, you said the prayer. That's it, one and done, I'm in. Salvation, the New Testament speaks of something that does happen to us in a moment in time. When we come to faith, when we are baptized, when we're at the revival meeting, right? We make a commitment to Jesus, right? We are saved. We are born again. We are born from above, as the scriptures tell us. But then we also see salvation referred to in the New Testament as something that is ongoing, something that we continually experience daily. And then we also see salvation as something that we will not experience fully until the end, until the return of our Lord. That's the result. The end result of our salvation is the resurrection of the dead, which we await with hopeful anticipation. So brothers and sisters, let us be like the Bereans, 
Let us, when we hear whatever I get up or anybody who gets up in this pulpit says and preaches something to you, if it doesn't sound right, search the scriptures. If someone gets up here and says Jesus was just a, a good teacher, a good man among many good men or many good teachers, search the scriptures. If somebody gets up here and says the scriptures are not inspired, that they're just a bunch of ancient writing that doesn't really have any meaning for us today, search the scriptures. And if anybody teaches stuff like that from this pulpit, please thank you very much for coming and ask them, uh, ask them to leave after being very kind to them. Because once he says we were not a people, but we are now God's people. And this is true of both Jew and Gentile in Christ. That those of us in Christ have received mercy, right? That they who have believed in the cornerstone that the builders have rejected, who have not taken offense of him, are being built up, Peter says, into a spiritual house. And so in light of all of us together being built up into a spiritual house, we are then, he says in verse 11, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your souls. Because our souls are constantly pulled between indulgence and abstention. Because those of us who abstain from those things have been satisfied by the spiritual milk of the word. We are desiring to grow up to perfection. We are receiving what has been handed down to us from the scriptures and through the apostolic teaching. But then on the other side we have those who indulge in the things that he asks us to abstain from. And that indulgence is never satisfied and it cannot be satisfied by anything and it never will be. And I just realized this now that both of those, the indulgence is never satisfied and being satisfied by the spiritual milk of the word, both of those stretch out through eternity. Those who reject Christ will never be satisfied by anything and will for the rest of eternity be continually turning their hearts away from God looking for satisfaction in anything other than what it was created for. That's hell, brothers and sisters. And that's heaven is that spiritual milk being satisfied by it perpetually forever and ever and ever as we grow into what Christ has made us for all along. Union with himself. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen.